The Buffy Virgin podcast is sponsored by horror comics cartoonist Dennis St. John, creator of the weird Lovecraftian horror graphic novel Amelia, which you can order from DennisComics.com. While Dennis is a regular guest on the podcast, we sometimes forget to talk about all the cool projects he's working on, but that is no more. Dennis St. John is now on Patreon, and for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to his sketchbooks, monster drawings, Buffy the Vampire Slayer monster drawings, as well as updates on his convention appearances and comic book progress reports. Now that's for a dollar. For $5 a month, you get access to the Dennis St. John Monster Club, which gives you access to work-in-progress comic pages, as well as uh, some thumbnails. Very cool stuff. And as somebody like myself who's just interested in uh, comics and getting started as an artist, I find this behind-the-scenes stuff very interesting. Dennis shows his process from outline to final ink. So to become a patron of Dennis St. John and to join the Monster Club, you go to patreon.com slash Dennis St. John. That's D-N-I-S-S-T-J-O-H-N. Or to just buy horror comics because you find becoming a patron of the graphic arts distasteful in some way, you go to DennisComics.com, D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X. So comics with an X because it's cool. And you can pick up a copy of Amelia or The Loop Guru or any of his other horror comic books. In every generation, there is a virgin. He alone will watch the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness for the first time at least once a week. I am a Buffy virgin. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Buffy Virgin. My name is Michael Poli. I'm the virgin. I've only seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer up to season two, episode 19. I only have eyes for you. And on the podcast today, we have... John Landis, a school teacher and Buffy enthusiast. Hello. Uh, Dennis St. John, a horror comics cartoonist. Hey, thanks for having me on again. <laughs> uh, yeah, regular Dennis St. John, thanks for coming back. Appreciate it. And we have a special guest today, David Yoder, Yoder another cartoonist. David Yoder, another cartoonist. Yeah, that's okay. I've heard my name butchered a lot before. So sorry. And David, thanks for you having me a- back on. And you have yeah. a comic book online uh, that you do every week where you review movies. It's called David and David at the movies.wordpress.com. And he does a written kind of reaction to the movie. And I do a one page color comic reaction to the same movie that we see every week. I mean, we don't see the same movie every week, but we see a movie every week. <laughs> That's a different one where you draw a one page review of the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what I noticed this time? Nothing. <laughs> This time I watched Junior, I got something new out of it. <laughs> that that would be a good one to watch. <laughs> yeah, you should we should do a podcast where we watch the same movie every week for a year and see what happens. I think someone did that. I forget what movie they did, but it was something like really terrible. Uh, it was Grown Ups 2. Was that what they watched? Yikes. Yeah. And I don't know if they did it, but they were going to make a a sequel season where they watch um Sex in the City 2 every week for a year. Wow. That's a special kind of torture. I, I actually, I was coworkers with a guy who like was in the cubicle next to me for a little while who was doing, uh, he was watching Star Wars uh, episode four, A New Hope every day, but with a different soundtrack. And then he blogged about it and then eventually got picked up by that Star Wars fan magazine insider. Anyway, he did that for over a year. And that seemed really nuts to me but he was a big yeah. Star Wars fan. Didn't he, he also said that he got to the point where if he was listening to like just an album, he'd be able to know what scene like <laughs> of A New Hope was playing at that time. Yeah, he could connect like, oh, this, this would probably work well with New Hope. Yeah. 
the, well, the, also, the important thing about like doing pop culture close reads is to totally shit on people who do pop culture close reads in a way that's different than you. <laughs> I think that's. The... But that that Star Wars uh, thing, I think that would then ruin the al- like whatever CD. Like, like is that what you were saying, Michael? That like if you would then listen to that CD, he'd be like, "Oh, this is where like Obi Wan cuts Darth Maul in half or something." Like, yeah, yeah, he do he do notes on it on a, this uh, right. random Tumblr for a long time. Well, cool. Uh, we've talked enough about other types of media, but let's get to the best media of all. Uh, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So uh, we start every week uh, with a summary of that episode. Um, and we're going to get to that in a second, but we need to talk about a special segment that we've started. We want to introduce that uh, John brought up because uh, we always waste so much time talking about stuff that Xander does that's offensive. And so we wanted to add a new segment. But now is not the time because Xander was on his best behavior this week. So we have nothing bad to say about Xander even though they had so many opportunities. So good on Xander. We're impressed with your behavior and I only have eyes for you. It's exceptional, but we know it's unusual. So we'll keep an eye on you. Maybe he's growing as a person. Maybe we won't have any opportunities to shit on Xander from now on. It's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Anything could happen. It's not like any of us have seen this show before. And uh, another special announcement, of course, uh, Dennis... Uh, had in the last episode talked about the possibility of starting a Patreon. Since then, he has started a new Patreon. So uh, we're going to plug that different times in the show, of course. <laughs> it's not all about Dennis's <laughs> Patreon, but it's uh, patreon.com slash Dennis St. John, D-E-N-I-S-S-T-J-O-H-N. And you can watch That's as right. he draws a new comic. He's working on something called Furiosa Frankenstein. It's up to page seven now. And you get special access to it. You get to see the pencils and stuff. And as it kind of comes together, if you subscribe to that Patreon, and I think for as little as a dollar. But you as, should pay uh, more than that. Yeah, you should $5. pay at least $5 to see all the good stuff. And if you pay $20, I'll mail you copies of uh, my previously published comics. And... Um, if you, but if you're just coming to the five dollar tier, uh, you'll become a member of my monster club, uh, which means you get a membership card at some point. This is really cool. I feel like this is a, this is the start of a new era for Dennis St. John comics. I've, I've seen so much Hopefully, activity in the comics of like working. You know, I, I take these large. I took a really long break this year from comics while other shit was happening in my life, but I'm ready to like. Re, I'm I'm going to be working on comics on my own comics for the foreseeable future. I got a, I might have a book coming out soon, so it'll be you'll be able to follow the process of that. Uh, well, super cool. I, just, I want to say I've been seeing uh, Dennis's pages for Furiosa Frankenstein not through the Patreon, but like just through special sneak peeks. I should give Dennis some money. Everybody should, but they are really <laughs> looking badass those pages, and I think it's like. Dennis like just turned up to 11 and like channeling all of his inner like horror stuff and sexy chicks and sexy horror chicks and gruesome stuff. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's, it's super gross and fun. Like the, the, the weirdness that this uh, Furiosa character gets into. It's a lot of Lovecraftian creatures and like, it feels to me like Cronenberg era craziness. Like, it, to per, you could never see these kinds of effects in a movie because it would cost a million dollars, right? But like on a comic yeah. book page, you can just see the crazy imaginative stuff happen. Uh, it's it's really cool. Yeah, part of what I did with this comic is for a while while I wasn't working on comics, I was drawing monsters every day. So I decided to like 
all of my like new monsters every day I would cram into this one thing. So like I did a lot of the character design work um, over the course of like six months before starting the comic. So there's just like a, ver- a large variety of different types of mods in it. It's super cool. Okay, well, uh, let's gush about Dennis a little bit, a uh, little bit more, and then uh, we'll move on to the summary. Just kidding. Let's move to the summary. Cool. So, uh, right now, we're going to play the summary for "I Only Advise for You." And we're going to get into the Buffy part of this podcast. Friday night finds the Scooby Gang at the Bronze, soaking up the soulful stylings of Splendid, everyone's favorite Alanis Morissette opening act. But Buffy can't quite get into the spirit. Even the cute boy giving her attention won't shake the lingering sadness produced by having a teacher-murdering vampiric ex-boyfriend on the loose. Buffy's not the only one going through a dramatic breakup, either. Back at school, a couple of no-name Sunnydale High School students play out a tearful and shouty breakup fight. The young man just can't seem to accept that things are over between them. I'm in love with you. Well, I don't love you back. Yeah? Well, love is forever. Just like this gun. Oh, God! Don't walk away from me, bitch. Luckily, Buffy arrives just in time to judo throw and disarm the would-be murderer. But then, things get weird. Neither of the couple has any idea why they were fighting, where the gun came from, or where it went to. Things don't exactly go back to normal the next day either. Buffy starts flashing back to the Happy Days era of Sunnydale High, while her history teacher accidentally scrawls last night's ever-charming don't-walk-away-from-me-bitch line on the chalkboard. And Xander is attacked by a locker monster. That night, Giles walks in on the school's janitor and algebra teacher, who suddenly decide to restage a familiar scene. I'm in love with you! Well, I don't love you back. Yeah, well, love is forever. Just like this gun. Oh, God. Hey, don't walk away from me, bitch. With no Buffy there this time to judo throw and save the day, the teacher is shot, and the gun disappears. Putting all the clues together, Giles deduces that there can be only one cause of this mayhem. His ex-girlfriend's ghost. Or, you know, it could be the ghost of the horrible 1950s murder-suicide thing that actually took place in Sunnydale High and fits the situation perfectly. You know, whatever. With Willow at the lead, the gang concocts a magical scheme to contain the ghostly outbursts. But there are just too many snakes, hornets, and faces falling off to get the job truly done. Everyone is back at Buffy's place trying to strategize and get hold of the situation when Buffy's 1950s nostalgia finally reaches fever pitch and she marches back to the school in a magical trance. Who does she meet there? It's Angelus. They look into each other's eyes and... I'm in love with you. Well, I don't love you back. Yeah, well, love is forever. Just like this gun. Oh, God. Don't walk away from me, bitch. Luckily for the possessing ghosts... Angel is impervious to non-wooden bullets. The murder-suicide couple get to end their story this time with a magical makeout session, thus breaking the spell. Buffy is left with a sorrow deep in her soul, and Angelus realizes this whole time that he's been kissing Buffy. Gross. The end. Wow, that was an amazing summary. <laughs> so funny, John. I love 
I love when you do a summary. I feel like you really take it to the next level and really add so many unique pol- polish to it. Like there were so many great sound effects. Uh, it's just, it just really feels like an adventure. Yes, totally spooky. I felt like I was there in that haunted high school. Like like radio drama really brought back like some of that classic like shadow era drama. It's so cool. I love that you do all the characters. I don't know if you too. guys could tell, but I kept looking behind me during it because I was like, what if there's a ghost coming to get me from the storytelling? It was really good. Well, especially I, since the episode is about the 50s, it made sense yeah. to evoke, you know, the media from that era in the presentation. So really spot on meta, you know, meta production. I, Thanks, our sales doesn't have anything <laughs> on you, John. I only have ears for you, John. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Cool. So as we get into the episode, uh, of course, we have a weird noticing trivia section. Then we go into group questions, then themes, deep stuff. But before all that, we have Buffy speak where everybody does their best impressions of their favorite lines from that episode. So uh, I put a plus one on this, but I love it. Uh, This one, uh, I think Buffy uh, says, uh, you just went OJ on your girlfriend. Love it. Love that craziness. To the to the character that forget like doesn't realize he's been possessed and you know try to shoot somebody. I thought that uh, Armin Shimmerham was uh, in rare form in this episode. Uh, I love. Uh, I'm no stranger to conspiracy. I saw JFK. That was that was an excellent line. Yeah, I also really liked his line where he's trying to intimidate Buffy and he goes, "You stink of lies." <laughs> like that was like. Cork talking right there. <laughs> well, cool. That's enough Buffy speak for now. All right. <laughs> I think we have a couple more, but it, it's just a fun, it's a fun segment. Um, we'll get on to weird noticings trivia here and let's, uh, there's quite a bit, so we'll run through these. So right away, uh, John's pointing out, and I appreciate that someone does the research, that the generic 90s band of the week at the bronze was called Splendid. Is that a real band? Uh, it is. Uh, so Splendid is actually featured in more Buffy episodes than any other band. So there's actually going to be more Splendid to come. So you're not allowed to use that as a prediction. Uh, it's a very extremely minor spoiler, I think. Is that um, uh, counting Dingo's Ate My Baby as a band? Uh, I think it's not. Um, I think it's probably more Dingo's Ate My Baby. This is the perhaps the most common band that appears as themselves, I guess. Um, but the lead singer of this band who you see, uh, there's actually an episode where she collaborates with Joss Whedon to write a song for a later episode. So that's much, much, much later. And again, a very minor spoiler, not like a big deal, but, uh, that's, that's splendid. You're telling me this show has music in later seasons. It does continue to have music. Uh, I don't know exactly what kind of music, uh, she wrote with Joss Whedon, but, um, so later. this is interesting. That means when the band, the band, the crew eventually goes to college that they keep coming back to the bronze. I should maybe make that as a prediction. I mean, if they don't go to the bronze, they got to go to like the college equivalent, which means more, more bands, more bullshit. Yeah. To be clear, I don't think Splendid necessarily comes back to the bronze. I don't believe that's the, that's what I'm saying. It's just that there's more Splendid music later on. Okay. That's cool. Uh, I don't believe that anyone has a lotion poster. Uh, I saw a lotion poster. It looked like someone printed it out. Like it didn't look like a real (laughs) poster on the wall. Um, So that was an interesting piece of fake merchandise. 
that I'm sure, like if you're an extreme Buffy fan, is on your wall, like your weird Buffy ephemera. Do you think that was part of the negotiation between, like, for lotion that does, like, all right, we'll, you know, we'd like, you know, as part of this appearance, we'll get the royalties, what, and and the band will appear in one episode, but our logo will appear in two episodes. (laughs) I would not put it past any lawyer to negotiate something as dumb as that. So yes, it's probably a part of legal negotiation because there's no reason to put something that bizarre on the wall. Also something so put together at the last second compared to all the other effects on the show. Anyway. Yeah. It's like missing its frame (laughs) as a poster. Anyway, uh, Dennis points out it's the show's getting really fancy. There's a crane shot. Uh, Maybe that was a contract negotiation as well to get that beautifulness Uh in there. Um, Show's beginning to wow us guys. And uh, maybe this is too soon. Um, if the if the gun is invisible or becomes invisible, invisible, how can it kill anyone? I mean, it's magic, Mike. I don't feel like it. It's magic. That's okay. easy. Uh, I mean, as long as it, so, as long as the bullet is like solid at the time, if it goes through somebody, hits them, and then disappears, that wound is still open. I, well, I, f- I feel like this is potentially world-breaking magic to have, like where you can magically have a weapon appear, kill someone, and then the weapon goes away. Like that's that's huge. I think the episode yeah, if actually they could that. Yeah. This episode refers you to a real-life event where that exact thing happens. Um, when you talk about JFK. Oh, oh okay. my God! Was JFK assassinated by a ghost? I think it's possible the in the Buffy crime. universe, anyway. So there was someone with a magic gun on the grassy knolls. Is that what you're saying? I, I mean, it would, exp- it would explain a talking. lot. There's a second gunman, but the second gunman is reliving uh, somebody else's trauma. It's not. Uh, it's not happening in the present. Uh, John really also it. points out right away. Uh, 955 is the same year the Back to the Future takes place. That, that should be the first thing anyone thinks about when the year 1955 <laughs> is brought up. Yeah. Uh, totally. That movie owns 1955. It's kind of the perfect year to represent the 50s, though, because once you get to 56, now it's like, oh, is this about the dawn of you know the 60s? <laughs> like 55 is like mid 50s. We're in the 50s. We can do 50s stuff. Um, Dennis asks John, "How is Willow's computer teaching?" I, I'm curious about that too. Is she a good computer teacher? Uh, I let's thought about be clear this to the question. people here. This John is a computer teacher. He is the yeah. best person who can judge <laughs> Willow as a computer teacher. Well, I'm probably not. So Willow's teaching computer science, right? Which is like the math and science and theory of how computers work. And I, I teach something very different. I teach uh, digital and media literacy, which is more like how do you live in a world that contains the internet effectively? More like a life skills thing, less of like. But you've talked coding right i do i I, teaching coding i do teach coding um well she's talking about binary coding which i think just means using binary numbers i don't know enough i'm not i don't know enough about computer science either what willow's talking about is advanced enough that i don't know what the hell she's talking about or it's nonsense and i'm not sure which one it is i mean i think it's Uh, nonsense see that that is that maybe is what my question was was like was she talking goobly gop or not um (laughs) Uh, my gut, my gut level instinct is that it's bullshit. Uh, that they just threw some words in there that kind of make sense. But uh, I'm also not a computer scientist, so maybe we could ask. I'm sure Mike knows somebody 
who could answer that question. I'm sure someone listening to this podcast will be able to help us out and let us know if this is bullshit or not. And if not, I, I should add this to the stuff that we ask on the Facebook page. Like, is Willow a legit, is le- teaching legit computer science? Is it like Khan Academy? You know, what, what's going on here? What was uh, Jenny Calendar's course plan? Was that for computer science plus magic or no magic? I mean, what was she teaching the kids? Was she teaching them the magic part too? She describes herself as a computer science teacher at one point. And she, but also like, I mean, I'm sure she's teaching a few different classes, but at one point she's just having the kids do spreadsheets, which is obviously more um, what we call uh, ITC or like, you know, just computer application and stuff. And then at another point, uh, she's having the kids do basic. We, we discussed that at pretty good length in, season, in one of our season one episodes uh, when she's having the kids do some dialect of basic. So I don't know. It, <laughs> my guess is this is, an, in any case, this is an advanced class that Willow is teaching. Uh, so this isn't the class that Cordelia and Xander are in and uh, are the, like, the only kids behind in. I can't imagine they'd be taking any kind of advanced classes. I, yeah, I also think laughing at the teacher's jokes is something that advanced classes do. And uh, in my experience, the general level classes are just sort of like, uh, go away. Or just yeah. silence. Oh, that was one of my Buffy quotes this week was, I did the joke thing from Willow. <laughs> Big part of the reason I became a teacher was to do the joke thing. <laughs> so uh, uh, I got to perfect my stand-up. Yeah, your teacher stand-up. By the way, doesn't work when you're on a real stage, but I would love to see someone do like classroom stand up. I think if you presented it like as uh, I'm a sixth grade teacher and what I'm about to present to you is sixth grade stand up or sixth grade teacher stand up. Something like that. The same kind of comedy I would use for my class. The worst is when like a 10 year old gives you an ironic laugh. Like, like <laughs> that's the worst. Like a patronizing laugh. Yeah. <laughs> like a patronizing laugh or just like you like, you know, you do a one-liner in class to like lighten the mood and like a 10-year-old is like, ha, 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 just to like, you know, it's like a fuck you. Like it's, that that really takes you down a peg. Yeah. Uh, one of the, uh, a friend of Dennis and mine, uh, Brian Stone, he would do a thing where I would make a joke and he would say, that's funny, but he like wouldn't laugh at it he would just say like that's that's funny and i it, it drove me mad <laughs> <laughs> he meant it uh so david you have the next kind of point here are they even trying to find a substitute teacher for miss calendar are they <laughs> i mean like uh, could, i don't think so john would this happen at all in the school where like a student like no matter how proficient like no. would end up taking over for the teacher <laughs> no. and then but like, she's a genius, John. Weeks? No. Yeah. Uh, Listen, but she, everyone smarter than her is dead, okay? <laughs> I will say this. I will say, there, like, there are rules about who's allowed to be in charge of a class and about leaving. I mean, again, I work, I work with younger kids. I work in elementary school. But there's definitely rules about leaving kids alone in a classroom without any adults. That yeah, I'm I pretty think- sure they're breaking <laughs> I think she would need like a substitute teacher that didn't know the subject, even just to be there as an adult. Yes, to kind of that, like that happens the all the classroom. time. That yeah. happens all the time where you'll have somebody certified who actually doesn't know the subject area to just to be there and make it official, and then the person who actually knows what they're doing, who's not certified, will teach the class. That happens. If there was like a token adult in the room, I would believe it. So what I'm saying is, this point has broken my reality for Buffy, and I can't just can't accept anything that happens. Yeah, it's all ruined from here on out. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, it's now become an alternate reality where children can teach schools without any, you know, like certification or education. It's just like, you're smart. You understand the subject really well. Therefore, you would be good at teaching it. Um, yeah, so that it's, yeah, we've entered an alternate universe now for the first time. They Forget the hell the shark. <laughs> so, uh, Dennis, uh, you related, you said, uh, Willow says Jenny had lessons planned on her computer. Is her computer fixed from being on fire yet? So I would think that yes, it's fixed, but uh, they were able to pull the pull that out anyway from the fiery. I wreck. think I did mention that the hard drive is probably fine. That even if so, the computer was a little on Angel's, fire, <laughs> that's that's Angel's so hilarious. Spell is still, <laughs> if you think about it, that like Angel like thought he killed the thing she was working on, but he just destroyed her monitor. Like if that's the case, of like the like hard drive is totally intact. I think you guys kind of covered yeah. this in that episode, but like, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's pretty great. <laughs> old man doesn't understand computers. He's like 300 years old. Uh, okay, so yeah, so he just didn't destroy it. So he didn't even get to the computer parts. Uh, John, you're pointing out that Sadie Hawkins uh, originates with little Abner and that's Dennis, the did, true origin. Did you know this? Yeah, yeah. I did not uh, know this. I had to look it up. Sadie Hawkins is like the only ugly girl in the town of uh, Little Abner. And so it's not a very feminist portrayal in the comic where every year she gets one day to chase all the boys. And if she catches one, she finally gets to marry him. So that's Sadie Hawkins day. Because she's the uh, ugly actually girl, right? Past, like... Yeah, yeah. I actually walk past a uh, Little Abner original, uh, original art every day. It's in the hallway for work. Not to brag. Um, uh, for, for those of us who are nerds. not not cartoon historians, can you give us like a thirty second like what is Lil Abner? Because I don't think most people know what it is. Um, it's a really beautifully drawn uh, comic uh, that kind of takes place like in this like hillbilly land, and it's uh, kind of it's like the main character is kind of one of those characters who like uh, is too dumb to understand like women, but they love him. Um, it was one of those comics that like, it was like at the time really progressive and it did this thing called the schmoo, which was like criticizing like, uh, consumerism, I guess. Um, but then like in the sixties, he went from being like a progressive icon to coming out really hard against, uh, hippies. Um, so his like public persona kind of shifted, but, uh, Frank Frazetta was one of his, um, assistants. Uh, Frank Frazetta basically learned how to draw women by drawing Lil Abner. Uh, and he famously, uh, I think, molested Goldie Hawn when she was a teenager. So there's a little bit of random, like I did not history. know most of that. That's terrifying. Wait, Little uh, Abner did that, or the creator of Little uh, Abner? Al Cap did that. Sorry, Al Cap. not Little Abner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for uh, a first year project at grad school at the Center for Cartoon Studies, uh, we had to like imitate the style of a comic strip, and I think we were given it at random. And I got little Abner, so I did a little Yoder where I put myself in, like, kind of as the same character. And I put the schmoo in there as well, because, like, how can you not put the schmoo in yeah. the comic? What, what's the schmoo again? It's um, like this. <laughs> they're these little creatures that are, like, kind of, like, pear-shaped. And they, like... It's like a peach crossed love... with a ghost, like, if you can imagine Yeah. That. And they just love to be eaten and like they're, they're can be used for like anything. They're like this, like all purpose lovable food thing. 
<laughs> They're really weird. It's genius. And this comic ran from when to when? Sounds um, like at least before 55 because that's when this dance is, right? So Yeah, I, I don't know actually. Maybe the 30s? They were, he was also really critical of Dick Tracy at the time. He did like a Dick Tracy parody comic. Um, so it was... A, I don't actually know the dates for Lil Abner. I just, the whole time the Sadie Hawkins and the dance and the blah, it was, it was a thing. I had no idea it was a reference to this comic strip until I, until I did research for this, this podcast. And I, uh, it's a hell of a lot of weird history packed into that phrase. Yeah, totally. I'm glad you did that. Cause it wouldn't have occurred to me to bring up Lil, Lil Abner, but, uh, I do recommend like picking up a trade for it. There's like, I think, um, a collection of like the Shmoo comics, uh, that would be the one to pick up. Word. I feel like we, you, when you do like a show like Buffy, you're almost doing like a history of high school as an institution in some of these episodes. If yeah. you like dig in a little bit, cause high school is a weird phenomenon anyway, but, uh, I'm going to move on here. Um, okay. I guess I'm, uh, okay. I'm, a, I'm unclear on the guns can materialize thing. Okay. I, I'm over that now. Um, so the teacher who died, <laughs> Did she die from a gunshot or a fall? And I'd ask that because she was shot and then she fell. But like, did she die from the fall or is the gunshot? Like for me, I was like the the way the show was set up. It was like, maybe the gun is fake, right? Maybe the gun is like the spiritual prop. I, this turns out to not be the case when Angel gets shot. But like at, initially I was like, maybe it doesn't, the gun is immaterial because she was shot and fell out a window. So you're sure she died from falling versus falling from a gunshot. And maybe the janitor doesn't go to jail, you know? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's the thing is like the janitor definitely goes to jail, right? And he didn't really do anything. And like, even after they solved the mystery and stuff, I don't think he's getting out of jail. Uh, and he gets a teardrop tattoo and then he like goes back to the back country and he's on Winter's Bone because it's John Hawks. From yeah, I bet jail in Sunnydale is just bananas. <laughs> <laughs> and how many nope. vampires are in jail probably? Uh, yeah, it depends on the night. But then they're all gone at the, the, in the morning. Uh, Depending on their windows in the cell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Dennis asks, uh, Giles, does hear Jenny's voice? Is it her or the ghost being tricky? So I re-listened to that sequence in order to catch what was going on. And it's just the sound of the possessed people fighting that he hears. There, I didn't oh. hear any Jenny voice in there. Did anyone else hear a Jenny voice? When Giles is in the study, I in the thought library. I heard Jenny's voice, but oh, just okay. like Giles, Dennis. Thought... <laughs> I guess I just had Jenny on my mind, uh, but like, I mean, maybe this is something we can talk about when we get to the themes and deeper stuff, or to questions or something. Because I think I end up asking like several, "How does this ghost?" We can really later on maybe just dive into what how this ghosting is working, you know? Yeah, I think the the possession is really interesting, and uh, I would like to talk about that too. Um, okay, so moving on here, uh, John reminds us that Final Solution doesn't refer to nukes, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, I'm sorry, can we deal with that for a second? Oh, please, can you just uh, contextualize this really quick? Because uh, when does the Final yeah. Solution? And so there's a, there's a, there's a the the gang is hanging out, and Willow says that we need you know the the only option is the Final Solution, which she's is a reference to an exorcism. We have to exorcise the the, the ghost, and. Uh, Xander's like, what? Nuke the school? Final solution? Nuke the school? The final solution is the Holocaust. 
right? Yeah. So Xander's failing history then basically is what Well, so is. is Willow, right? I mean, it's weird. Well, yeah, well Willow Maybe. doesn't correct him, I guess. But also, yeah. Willow is Jewish and probably wouldn't just casually use the term final solution. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why an exorcism is the final solution. I don't get that either. It's it's strange. Can I... I I don't know. I kind of felt like when I watched the episode that like the episode's really well written. I like the overall story and how it relates, especially to like relationship issues for Giles and Buffy and Angel and Miss Calendar with Giles. But I feel like a lot of, especially like the side characters like Xander, Willow and Cordelia is like, Cordelia is just barely there. I feel like they're not, if there was another high school show where a ghost haunting could take place, over a City Hawkins dance, like this could go in that show as well. It doesn't really feel necessarily like a specific Buffy show, if you know what I mean. That can be in season two of Riverdale. Yeah, like you almost, it, it, maybe this was like a temp script the person had like as a pilot for something else and they just kind of twisted it around to be for Buffy. I don't know. I, I feel like it was too on the nose about like Buffy. Like I feel like the... I mean, we get into it later. I think this was written for Buffy. I don't think it was a different well, show. or the, But you think they altered it to make it about Buffy? Because no, I'm, I guess I'm more, I'm not really saying that. I'm more just saying like the side characters, like they're there and they're present. The actors definitely bring it. But like, I don't feel like they're quite written like as solidly as they have been in the past few episodes. Like Cordelia has had some really great moments in the episode with the hospital and also, um, shit, what was the one, the one where Angel kills uh, Miss Calendar? Like, I think she has some like, and this one, like, literally all that happens is she got a snake bite on her face and then she gets worried later about it, like, destroying her face. Like, I don't know. Yeah, they could have had stronger... I, I like the scene with Cordelia where she freaks out, though. That's, like, her worst fear materializing. But it's it's almost like you're... I agree with... I want to agree with you because... I, But for a different reason. <laughs> I don't think the characters are so poorly written as their as their characters i just feel like there's like a kitchen sink of monsters happening related to this possession that don't need to happen and that part's confusing to me where it's like uh okay it's a hellmouth so we can have a hellmouth of, of things happen but like there's the locker room monster there's the spaghetti turning to snakes there's the Cordelia's face getting fucked up there's the locust willow gets dragged into a hole and i'm i wrote these down because i was confused about them it's like yeah this stuff's not related to the possession right or even sadie hawkins yeah. as a dance so why is all this stuff happening yeah I, re- I read a note about that also um if i had to have a theory about it i'd say that the the main two ghosts are like the catalyst for this but them being there is like opening up a doorway to like hell or wherever these ghosts reside or should reside. And so all the unrelated stuff, the snakes and zombie hands and stuff is like just that the doorways between the realities are weak and the other non-related ghosts are getting in and poltergeising it up. I like that um, as a, as an explanation. It reminds me very much of the movie poltergeist where it is just sort of like kitchen sink of monsters which works a lot better than I think the kitchen sink of monsters in this episode, because maybe they actually say what you just said, which is that there's a different reality barrier thing. And they don't really say that in this episode, I think. Yeah. Which is it why doesn't, when weird. you find out the answer and stuff, it doesn't necessarily, it is like, why would this kid, like if this kid as like when he was alive was like, I'm obsessed with snakes and fucking my teacher. Like, <laughs> Then I'd buy all the snakes, you know. 
it, yeah, that so maybe kid, <laughs> that kid, no one should sleep with that kid. But, uh, it, so maybe like Ghostbusters in high school, like that's what it seems like in a way. Like, yeah, like all the yeah, all the like the containment, the containment box has been open by Dickless, and like there's just a ton <laughs> of shit going on. I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I explain it to myself as it's just like haunted house, you know, it's like the school becomes a haunted house, especially when they like, you know, they get chased out of it and then they go back in. It's like, it's full haunted. Um, That's as much thought as I think the episode has put into it. But the artistic, I mean, the artistic reasons for it are like, everyone has to leave the fucking school so that Buffy can have a solo encounter with angel that can be like have all the emotional resonance that they want it to have so it's like i get why the bullshit happens story-wise it's like angel and buffy need a moment and i i really love the way the possession works in that scene that's an amazing scene but like yeah it's ham-fisted to get there like or it's just kitchen sink monsters haunted house weak connection to the other world um but let's move on so david you're saying is all that stuff in xander's locker his normal stuff hanging doll etc Good yeah, question. I don't know. Like, it's not addressed. It's just there. And it's a weird, like, quick shot where it's like, it's weird enough the hand comes out and grabs him. But then it's like, Xander doesn't act like, oh, yeah, that's you know normal. I don't, I don't know. I yeah, think that's the voodoo his stuff. doll with the noose is pretty weird. I think that's uh, definitely also, his stuff. He's like, I assume that there's going to be a face on that, no- on that voodoo doll, but we don't see what it is. And there's also, like, a, a romance poster. Or a romance comic image. Yeah, I think Xander is low key obsessed with like uh, Roy Lichtenstein images, like because there's a Lichtenstein in his uh, bedroom. But, yeah. if, Zan- if Xander is doing voodoo on someone, I think he really didn't learn his lesson from doing that spell to make uh, Cordelia fall back in love with him. You know, like he's oh like, my he's god, going good in, point. Weird, he's going into weird territory <laughs> there. Yeah, he should really avoid any of that That would be an amazing quiet reveal. That'd be an amazing That's an excellent point. You live in a world with magic, but you're still going to have an ironic, you know, Archie McPhee voodoo doll in your locker. Like, you should just, like, (laughs) just out of safety-mindedness, not do that. (laughs) But I like that he could, yeah, exactly, like, on his own, be trying to get Cordelia to stay with him, like, through whatever voodoo mind control. That'd be amazing. (laughs) An amazing waste of... uh, magic yeah uh, so dennis says i think it's funny that xander has not been preparing for city hawkins this week because cordelia never asked him and i i lo- just love cordelia's response to city hawkins in general how it's a trick because women have to pay for everything what a <laughs> what a joke this is going to send humanity on the wrong path uh i mean it's a funny <laughs> ditzy joke but it's it's yeah it's on it's on point for the character uh and then uh John, you're pointing out Sunnydale, Sunnydale has a snake task force that they do. And I, I thought it was interesting that like they showed all the cops coming in and animal control to deal with the snakes. But when the janitor killed the teacher or whoever that was, it was like, we didn't see the cops address that issue. It's like only when there's snake invent- infestation. That then... Yeah, how is the school not closed when part of the school is a crime scene? <laughs> it's just so average day for them that it takes something on the level of snakes in the entire cafeteria for them to Cordelia the Chase school. got bit by a snake. <laughs> oh, there you go. And of course, this leads to that amazing conversation between uh, Snyder and the police chief, uh, which I, I love. 
this kind of weird it feels like almost like an alternate universe opens up briefly where they're completely aware of the hellmouth and they've been trying to cover it up and like the police yeah. chief is not doing his job somehow he should be working harder at it like I, and for what reason they're trying to cover up at his existence rather than closing the school permanently <laughs> like are they so desperate to keep their jobs do they pay well like what's the benefit for them that it's so desperate to keep this super fucking dangerous hellmouth open <laughs> but also so no one knows about it like yeah. i love that weirdness and i i mean i can't imagine where it goes but it's rad yeah and just that you know it's, uh, snyder calls out the hellmouth by name like we knew he knew about vampires and stuff but he like we don't know how much he knows um it's a mystery it's a conspiracy. Uh, and then Dennis, you said, uh, I don't, Mangus tripod. What's this? <laughs> that's the oh, spell that's, they cast. Um, the, oh, oh, okay. The spell that they use. It's called Mangus tripod. It's just, you know, during the um, reptile boy episode, they called the reptile Makita. And it was just like, that's the name of a power tool. So I assume that the writers are like, I'm going to name this spell. What's that camera sitting on? Tripod? Yeah. Manga tripod. I like I don't know. Sometimes they're not the best at naming like mystical things. Yeah, and uh, yeah, definitely I like the power tools though. That that should definitely be a thing for a, a series at some point. That's pretty rad. Uh and then you right away uh next thing is uh Drew is always wonderfully crazy crazy and Angel has a new pad. Exterior shots are the Ennis house designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. How did you discover yep. that? Did you just know it? I, I looked it up. I, cause I was looking at, I watched the episode and I was like, those, that architecture is really weird. And I was like, is it art nouveau? What is it? Um, so I looked up like, first of all, it was really hard to search angels house and not get like, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I found it. It was a real house called the Ennis house in LA. Um, but that's the exterior shots. I don't know what the interior, if it's based on the Frank Lloyd Wright prairie style or not. I don't really know enough about architecture. Um, when you searched Angel House, was the result like church or heaven a lot for that? I tried Angel's <laughs> Manor or Angel's Mansion architecture. I mean, it's just a lot of images of angels, man. I can think of one mansion of angels and that's with pearly gates. <laughs> uh, so I, I like this scene with uh, Drew and Angel a lot and Jealous um, but it was funny because he's doing a lot of sexy acting in this scene and he's a terrible sexy actor it's like he's just putting on this character that's sexy and uh, it was it's just like the worst sexy acting uh, I feel like he's he's sexier when he just doesn't try and i i don't know why they write this character for him and it, like elizabeth like looked over and she's like what is this bullshit she was like happened to be doing something completely different and looked over <laughs> and like i like her looking at it and then me looking at it together we're like this is a mess uh, yeah. it's like, i mean he's being a creep he's mostly doing it not for drew's sake but for spikes but doesn't he i i didn't watch this thinking about his acting too much but doesn't he like He's like touches her womb a lot, right? He's like, yeah, like touching her belly. Yep. Yeah. Which I don't, you know, whatever. But what's going on with this spike and jealous, you know, drama in this scene? Like it's such a mess. Like, yes. Yeah, so spikes in a wheelchair. Uh, apparently, you know, Drew is so excited about this new space because it has dead flowers or something like this. And then like angels trying to make spike jealous 
and it like ends in this really angry spike face you know where like he's watching angel touch her womb or whatever like it's so it's it's really weird of like roommate scenario happening because like where they're kind of sharing a girl but not really because like drew and spike are paired but like drew says she's not a proper ally in that relationship because she doesn't like push him away at all like which which is that that makes her not a good partner by the way the fact that she accepts that these things are happening but like yeah they're vampires so just weird shit happens who cares it's kind of the way the show, show treats it like these are the bad guys so they are they're bad at everything including relationships and each other but like it's i can't imagine as spike ever getting with drew again after like she just accepts this shitty behavior well, uh, I, I think part of it is probably like, because this is from an era where you don't necessarily watch every episode in order, they have to keep reminding us that Angel's a bad guy now, right? In case you missed that one. So like, right. and the, like his constant like weird, like ableist taunts of Spike about like, bah, wheelchair, bah, are really effective. I feel like at like reminding you, oh yeah, he's an asshole. Like, yeah, he's a bad guy. Uh, I- and like I don't know I don't know how much of like Angel and Drew's history and stuff we really know, but like Angel was like you know, like when Drew and Spike came out of the show, they were like very firmly a couple. But back when Angel was a part of that team, like he created Drew, like he like we don't know what their relationship was like back when he was evil to the the first place and like and Mike's rolling his head, his eyes. Uh, this is like, Buffy defense. I appreciate you're doing the role that Travis can't do today. And that you're <laughs> defending the show. So thank you. But it would be, I don't know, whatever the equivalent would be of like, if like some ex-husband comes back on the scene and starts, that would actually be terrible. I don't know. It's, it's also like, just a, a love triangle. Like that's all, I mean, you know, one of those cliches of TV writing. This is the most soap opera, soap opera bullshit going on. I mean, this this show's full of it, but, like, this scene itself is, like, though, if I were just to pull this one scene out and, like, put that on stage, that would be a rad fucking mess, and I would put high school actors in it, and people would, like, be super confused if there'd be, like, a kid in a wheelchair who's looking at one guy who's sexy acting with another woman that presumably the guy in the wheelchair was with, and he just glares at him the whole time. Like, it's a weird scene. Oh, man. And then uh, the other two actors would, like, leave the stage and it would go to uh, Dark with him still in the wheelchair. They're like, mm. Right, and then he'd get out of the wheelchair and, like, to dramatic <laughs> music, right? And then, ah! And then we'd cut to black. <laughs> on that. Or, or, or it's just the opening I, scene of some fan fiction and then it gets even more uh, fucked up from there. It is, it is a beautiful scene. It's a bad scene. Uh, so Dennis, you're saying the meeting of the midnight society. Is that just from that same scene? Oh, there's just a joke about, uh, cause they light the candles at midnight. And I just thought about that show. Are you afraid of the dark? The meeting of the midnight society. Nice. Speak and then, uh, David Yoder, do you want to do the impression that you're bringing up here? <laughs> okay. So yeah, this is maybe one of the things that stood out the most to me when I was saying like the characters didn't like completely sound like I felt like they should sound like. So Xander goes into a room full of snakes to deal with the snakes. And he says, oh yeah, baby, it's snake-alicious in here. Uh, doing like, I, I know I did no impersonation there at all, but it's a, like a poor man's awesome powers sort of thing. And it seems very dated now, especially, but 
like to me, it's like, why not do the classic line of why do it have to be snakes? Like thinking of Indiana Jones. Uh, when I was in high school in the year 1998 or seven or whatever this is, fucking Austin Powers impressions were inescapable and awful from day one. Like, I was <laughs> yeah. like, I want to go on record as being against that shit from the first day. It was so horrible. Oh, it was Maybe. punishment. I, I was just wanting Buffy to be above that level. Oh, of, behave, like, Joan. Behave. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I just painted a target on my back. God damn it. Groovy, baby. Groovy. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> and then you jump 15 years. All right, cool. Or 10 years. Uh, uh, Buffy's just a badass. There's like this rad that should be an animated GIF when like they're running from the locusts or whatever these bugs are. And she just kicks down the school door, smashing it. It's just a freaking rad. Like, we got to get out of here. And like, you know, Buffy's powers, like, you know, they're, sometimes they're really strong. Sometimes they're not. For whatever reason, really strong, then it was awesome. I was yeah. like, I kind of like, oh, that's great. Uh, then Dennis points out, no Joyce in the house as everyone visits and helps themselves to food. Only weird because Giles is there. And then you have this, you think he steals her <laughs> teacup? What yeah, he's f- drinking a, tea, a green teacup. And minor spoilers, for the rest of the series, Giles has a green teacup. I think he stole uh-huh. Joyce's teacup. Holy crap, Dennis. That's really good detective work. <laughs> I did not notice that at like all. Travis would be really proud of you for, for that one. Well, really good I prop think, work. Yeah. Oh, A plus prop work. <laughs> I think the hospital episode like showed that no one respects Joyce at all with that ending of them just all asking for snacks and everything. And uh, I mean, I don't think it's weird at all for like high school kids to hang out at their parents' house, you know, like, but it's just weird. It makes it feel weird that Giles is there and is like helping himself to tea. As I recall guys, like 95% of high school was traveling from house to house, like fucking locusts eating all the snacks. (laughs) Like that was what we did. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, but, but Giles is in on it too, right? Like he Yeah, that's weird. That's definitely <laughs> weird. We also didn't hang out with a, like an older professor who also like ate all the snacks. But you guys kind of addressed in another episode that it makes more sense for them to be in a house than like using the library as their hangout because the library is a public building and so like vampires can just come in there at any time. So at least the house has some protection from that. That's all I had. <laughs> Oh yeah, just nodding along. Yeah, I'm. I'm assuming that Buffy's house was just the closest to the school. Uh, do we have a map of Sunnydale to like uh, kind of figure Pull out? It how... up. There's or a board may- game. Maybe uh, it's uh, Giles doesn't want to go to his house because that's where uh, Miss Calendar was laid with her dead body, and she's thinking, or he's thinking about that especially right now because he thinks she might be the ghost that's haunting the school. Maybe, maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's sleeping at the library. And they can't go to the bronze because they're going to be discussing weird shit. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, David, you point out, seems like a fair amount of effects, variety of effects this episode, not just one monster. Okay, yeah. We'll, yeah, why all this money? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I like them. Like the thing that like sucks, like Willow, that's like quicksand. That's, there's a lot of CGI stuff, which maybe it's just like, ooh, we can do CGI stuff. And they were like, going crazy with that and it kind of ties back in just with like what you guys were saying about how like why you know this uh couple that was a teacher and student that you know the student ended the relationship with the gun violently like why is there all this other shit (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, it is. It is kind of random. Um, I mean, I my yeah my answer, which is that you know they're trying to get the kids out of the school, and so they spend the money to do it. But it is it is kind of random to throw all the cash at it. Like these are good effects mostly. Like they work, yeah. they all work. Even if like they're kind of primitive CGI, they all they all function. They're all done in the dark, so they function yeah. just fine. I mean, even to do just like all those bugs when it's like all around the school and everything, that looked like it was a lot of detail. Uh, and then David, you have another point here about uh, Cordelia's top uh, would be able to button closed. <laughs> Is that just a little jacket? Right. Yeah, I, I guess. And uh, not to just be creepy about it, but as, as a fat man, I definitely have. Uh, button shirts that sometimes I'll wear that I, they don't close. So I have like a t-shirt underneath, but like, this was very like that, that shirt never would have buttoned. Those buttons are pointless. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's, that's my fashion. You can't cage those ladies. I want to hear you talk about all ladies fashions. I want, I want like a full analysis. I want like buttons to run- serve a purpose. <laughs> I want like a runway show. Right. Where it's like Project Runway or whatever. And they, they have like, oh, this person from, you know, whatever, Revlon or like Chanel or like, uh, you know, Jimmy Choo and then David Yoder. And he'll <laughs> and then his opinions about fashion would be awesome. Like, <laughs> like, why can't they be comfortable? Yeah. Yeah. That, and it should always be I like everybody's there in the studio, but you still have like these headphones on and are like sitting at like a computer desk. <laughs> right, they just have him piped in. That seems like a YouTube show. That would be kind of rad. Okay, I'll make my YouTube uh, series for my fashion corner then, I guess. It would be a huge yeah. success, runaway success. I think this is part of... Runway um, success. The setup, this is the movie that Kim Cattrall is working on during Mannequin 3, The Revenge. <laughs> that, that was... Uh, Yoda and I created Dennis a... I uh, came up with last night, yeah. We were just joking about Mannequin 3, The Revenge, where Kim Cattrall actually is herself in it, and she's obsessed with mannequins. Is, is She's turning hot. regular people into mannequins in order to stay alive as a human because it, she was cursed to gradually become a mannequin in real life from making the movie Mannequin, where she was a mannequin that came... So it makes sense, if you think about it. That sounds amazing. Are you a mannequin or a mannequant? <laughs> It, there is no Mannequin 3. It's just the two movies? Just the two. Oh. There's, there's, there's also no plot connection between Mannequin and Mannequin 2. It's completely separate magical events. And the only character they have in common is Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hollywood's got to solve the mystery of Mannequin 3. And yeah. our, our, our idea for Mannequin 3 was that it actually is Kim Cattrall playing herself. Not not the character from. The I, I love the breaking the fourth wall business. <laughs> I I think that the Hollywood should like transcend the realities and yeah. should just be a real person. But in the so in this also Kim Cattrall is obsessed with the mannequin movies and keeps talking about it and everyone's like Kim why do you keep bringing this up like you were in Sex in the City you were in like um Big Trouble in Little China like why do you keep bringing up Mannequin too and she's like well you know it's based on a true story right oh it's amazing. Uh, wow. Mike, you can edit out all the discussion of the mannequin trilogy. If <laughs> no, I'm going to keep it because this is interesting. I haven't thought about those films. I don't think I've seen mannequin one or two. I, I mean, I know who Kim Cattrall is, but like because of sex in the city and big trouble. So thank you, Dennis, for saying that that was very helpful to contextualize. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, as a creative, you can really, uh, relate to mannequin. Cause there's the, there's the whole scene where like he has to get fired from his pizza job for putting like, uh, pretzels on the pizza. Cause he's too creative. <laughs> 
Well, anyway, this that sort of thing is just the dumb kind of stuff that Dennis and I talk about when we watch a dumb movie and have been recording those. And hopefully we'll be releasing those out to the public soon. Oh, well. this is just an ad for your other podcast. All right. None of this. <laughs> None of this. I see what's going on. You're like, if you like this musing, you'll love Two Dumb Guys Watch Movies, right? Is that the name it's of it? It's actually what? called Two Dummies and a Dumb Movie. I think that's what we're going to call it. Oh, but my gosh. Now I better like register that or something since I just said it. Okay. Well, let us know and we'll make sure to mention it on the show. Uh, so, D- Dennis, you mentioned there's a 50 style poster behind Angel in the gun confrontation scene. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Cool flashback. Cool prop noticing. Um, and the fact that the school is from the 50s sure made these flashbacks easier to film. Yeah, totally. It would be hard to build a second location. Yeah, it just looks right. Otherwise, it'd be like a weird Indian burial ground scenario, right? Where it's like, this was yeah. built on an old school. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I noticed here, uh, vampires aren't exempt from demonic possession. It is a little bit of a surprise when Spike gets the possession. Like, I would have thought, I meant Spike, I'm sorry, uh, Angelus, Angelus. Uh, I was a little surprised that he was possessed also. I thought maybe, yeah. like, they'd be different. Does and, that mean uh, technically he had a soul for that brief period? Because he had that, the soul of that woman, the, the teacher. Yeah, that's actually know. something I bring up um, in the other section. Oh, sorry, we Dennis. Right I no, your, it's fine. I stole your point. No, it just is him being possessed by this ghost similar to uh, the angel soul possessing the body of Angelus. Good point. Is it? I think the gang should have fought to kept, keep the like teacher spirit inside of him. Yeah, they just need to, like, trap it with a spell or something. Yeah, and then, then, like, Buffy's dating, like, a teacher from the 50s for the rest of the show? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting. We could really get into some gender stuff, because, like, she would, like, feel the attraction that the body feels, right? Yeah. Which, let's face it, that's 95% of their attraction in the beginning. Maybe he could teach the uh, computer science class. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. And it's all 1950s knowledge. They're like, now a computer is the size of a room and it can be used like to break Nazi code. Yeah, just be like binary punch card projects. Uh, yeah, it'd be great to see Xander like just knocking his head against the wall instead of doing the punch card problem. Um, okay, so we're done with weird noticings-ish and we're gonna move on to questions for the group. Uh, John, you're starting out here. Any Sadie Hawkins memories? I don't think I ever got asked. I don't really remember my school even having one of those dances, but I never really went to school dances anyway. Cordelia probably stopped it. Mike, I think you and I went on like a double date situation to Sadie Hawkins. Is that right? Senior year? Yeah, I feel like it was just a, it was, it wasn't every year had Sadie Hawkins. Oh, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't have gone every year if there was, but... Um, I, I think I went to most dances. I, I, I think I was invited to Sadie Hawkins. You went but, to a lot more than the rest of us. I think that's for sure. Well, I... Okay. But I don't have, like, a strong recollection of it being different from any t- other type of dance and that the woman asking the man thing was not, like... It, you know, that was definitely an important component. Like, someone's going to ask you. You don't ask them. But I don't remember it being... a that the, crazy the main thing i think of with uh, sophie hawkins is uh the community episode where britta mistakes it for uh sophie b hawkins 
dance, thinking of Susan B. Anthony and like combining it with uh, <laughs> the, the Sophie Hawkins. I don't know. It's pretty pretty funny. But, but it, for me, it's just a flurry of dances, like all the different dances that we did. So, you know, another ladies excuse man, to, Michael Poli, another <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Oh, another high school, to, a flurry of dances. I was going to talk about the music, but yeah, uh, just another excuse to dance to 69 yeah, boys I like, I or like the Macarena. Or... <laughs> you guys are really devastated by this Michael, dance stuff. Like, no, no, I just, I, there's like another episode where you're talking about like, Hey guys, don't you know, like when you had that experience of like your lady friends, like having really big crushes on you, but you weren't into them. And there was like, uh, <laughs> I, I just thought that was funny. Right. This is in my high school humble brags here. <laughs> Shit. Okay. I'll, I'll be more careful. Uh, You're a handsome man, Michael Poli. Well, thank you, David. High school me uh, didn't realize at the time. He just lived his life. Uh, then John asked the devastating and scary question of ever crush on a teacher. Um, I think Did everyone you? crushed on a teacher. Yeah. I mean, always crushing on at least one teacher. Um, uh, okay. So, you know, if it was an English teacher when I was a freshman, you know, a Spanish teacher, um, you know, it's just like, yeah, you crush on teachers, but like not in a creepy way. I'm not writing them notes. I'm just like, Oh, right. I like being in this class. You crushed on your uh, freshman English teacher. Did you did not? We all No, I don't think we all did. Oh, wait, can you tell me what teacher you're thinking of? And I'll bleep it out. Are you thinking uh, of a certain teacher that was like had a reputation that was based on nothing except? Uh, yes, that one. Yes. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm thinking about junior high school. Let's teacher use we first and last classroom. names here, people. Come on. I actually can't remember her name. Oh, yes, I can. But uh, uh, I don't no, think not that. we're I did not crush on that one. teacher. I did not crush on that teacher. Okay. I did not crush on the teacher that later uh, put me in a cut production of Death of a Salesman. Okay. Okay. That's that's what I was thinking because that's that would have been uh, an interesting choice. Interesting choice. Um, yeah, I, I, think had, uh, lot, I think a lot of people crushed on an economics teacher, not economics, a uh, home ec teacher. Uh, oh, 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 that's interesting. That was I had the a one photography teacher uh, in, at my other high school who had a pretty good big crush on. She was all dressed all goth and everything. Oh, that'd do it. Is she a Miss Calendar situation? It was a total Miss Calendar situation. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm going to start up a, a band I, called the Miss Calendar situation. She it did. Uh, <laughs> I know a pencil that covered... one time by accident, though. <laughs> so she what? that kind of. She threw a pencil in my eye by accident. She was aiming for a different student, but it like hit me right in the eye. Um, <laughs> she touched me. <laughs> I just want to say for it the album cover. It was an cover, arrow of love. For the album cover for the Miss Calendar situation, it's a goth, totally goth dressed teacher, and John is the only student in the class for that shot. It'll be beautiful. Yep. And he's looking at a calendar of her, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's a calendar girl on a calendar. That's amazing. Beautiful. But I don't know, guys. I just respected uh, the difference between a teacher and students and what the relationship... I, I, I don't think I ever had a crush on a teacher. Yeah, I don't think I did either, actually. There were teachers that might have been pretty, but I didn't like have a crush on a teacher. That was. I feel like crush implies that you're thinking about it when you're not at school, which I think I don't think I ever really did. Well, John, I think, now the question. Yeah, mainly. Oh, sorry. Oh, good, David. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I just remember in high school, like, having teachers that I definitely enjoyed having, 
them in class, like for classes, but not anyway. Blah. I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, John, do you ever have uh, the situation reversed on you now that you're a teacher? Do you experience young crush? Yes, that happened one. T- well, so like to set this up carefully, my students are you know very young, right? They're like very young. Um, but a, a teacher that I work with came to me and was like, uh, and so at my school, we do a thing called crew where you have like a, like a, it's supposed to be like a informal rap session with the, you know, a certain adult. And like, you know, like it's uh, there are their gender segregated. So like the girls will get together and talk to a female teacher. And it's supposed to be a time to like talk about life stuff and it's supposed to be private. Right. But the, uh, a teacher I work with came to me and was like, guess who has a crush on you? And I'm like, I don't want to know the answer to that question. I have no desire to know the answer. Like, and she fucking told me anyway. And it was horrible. And then I, she told me the whole story, which was that one kid admitted to having a crush on some other teacher, our extremely muscular and hunky gym teacher, right? Which is reasonable. And so then like to make that acceptable, her like way to make that kid not feel weird was to force every other girl in the group to acknowledge having a teacher crush, like, like make them all do it. So it was like totally coerced and horrible. And then she told me about it, which is makes it even worse. I uh, was not happy with that teacher. Uh, so wow. that's the closest I've gotten. I don't know if that counts, but that- uh, I, I really do mad. not like that teacher. Yeah, that she is... doesn't work there anymore for other reasons, but <laughs> not cool. Wow. Deeply uncool. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to recommend a teacher crushy, uh, tr- super trashy book called Tampa by Alyssa Nutting. If people haven't read that, that is a pretty crazy teacher crush. Book. Alyssa Nutting? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's possibly a pseudonym, and I would definitely pseudonym this. What stuff kind of book is this, Mike? It's a rad book. <laughs> is this erotic? Uh, is this yeah, from su- Bonnet's bookstore. Is this? It's it's an erotic thriller. It's pretty amazing, and like it's not a Bonnet's. Okay, it's like a legit, get it on Amazon style book. Tampa. <laughs> okay, right. it's a legit. Get it on Amazon book. <laughs> All right. So then, Dennis, you're saying uh, let's talk about Snyder calling the Hellmouth by name. How much does he know? How much does he know? We already kind of talked about this, but yeah. it's a mystery, man. Does he know about Buffy? That's like. I think this might be an opportunity for Mike to make some predictions. Actually. Oh, about how much Snyder knows? Maybe. Um. Snyder knows about vampires, right? We know pre- that. That's a post-diction. Post-diction, we know that. <laughs> what kind of prediction are you asking me to make? I don't like, know. You don't have to make any predictions if you don't want. I'm just saying we have this open question where we've had two little clues about Snyder knows about something. Maybe it's leading to something. Maybe it's not. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I, John, I feel like you're leading him like that teacher led the students to like <laughs> say that they had a crush on the teacher. Yeah. Everyone go around and say their <laughs> prediction. Uh, okay, you so if I'm... To. Okay, well, if there's, it sounds like clearly there's something to know, but you wouldn't ask that question if there wasn't something to know. And then, Yoder, you're shrugging because you understand that I've been led into a trap. Um, but I, I think that Snyder knows some more stuff, but I don't... I don't know if the show is going to cash this card. I feel like this is total red herring uh, to me. I don't feel like this is ever going to pay off. I feel like that's a prediction. Just, okay. My prediction is uh, this information is never going to pay off. Snyder is just going to get eaten or some fucked up thing will happen to him. Like a demon will kill him. And that'll be the end of his knowledge of the Hellmouth. And then a new principal will come in because like, it's not gonna matter because they're just going to go to college in the next year anyway. 
And like somehow in that time, Snyder will get eaten or transformed into a monster or something fucked up will happen to him and that will end and Snyder. So he's going to... They, prob- they have another year of high school just to... Okay, so season three, Snyder will be eaten or possessed or something messed up will happen to him. Yeah. Uh, okay. We've already predicted that, I think. Oh, good. Okay, well then I stand by my story. Uh, so moving on, Dennis, you ask any real life ghost stories. Have we talked about yeah, real I, life ghost oh, stories? Oh, to be clear, I'm sorry. Mike, you predicted Snyder will be killed in season two. Actually. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, probably he's got another season now with this. So what do, you want to, what do you want to do here? Well, I mean, I, that's it's going to be wrong, but I think he's going to die in season three then. But Okay. You can just count that prediction already as wrong because I know he can't die in season two. Not with this ominous scene. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. All right. Uh, so, Dennis, you're asking for real-life ghost stories. Have we talked about real-life ghost stories on this show? Uh, I don't think we have because this is our first ghost episode, I think. Uh, does anyone have any real-life ghost stories? I have a couple. I've got a couple. I don't know how exciting they are. Uh, I have I have one, too. So, who wants... Dennis, why don't you start? All right. Um, so, the setup for this is that ever since John and I were roommates, actually, I've had night terrors. So it's hard to tell a night terror from like a real ghost experience, right? Because a night terror is like you think you're awake, but you can't move and there's something in the room. So I had one of those when I was living in Vermont and there was this dude in my room. But the scary thing is this time I was able to move. So I stood up really quick and the guy was staring at me, got surprised. And I was, for a second, I was like, oh, shit, there's really a guy in my room. But then he like pushed his way into the wall and disappeared. Um, So that's one weird experience. Um, And the other is when I moved to a different apartment, that's um, if I ever lived anywhere haunted, it was this next house I lived in, which was like an old Vermont house, like one of the first like houses built in Windsor, Vermont, uh, that used to be the town apothecary that um, is right across the street from a cemetery. So I had a couple of weird experience. Like the first night I, li- the first night I yeah. lived there, um, my sheets got pulled off the bed by like tiny child children hands. And I was like, that's freaky. I mean, but that could have been a night terror, but, and this wasn't, this wasn't me. This was my roommate at the time. Jeff used to complain that like, he was one of those cartoonists who would be up like at three in the morning working on comics, even though like we had the same day job. Um, he used to complain that like at three in the morning, I would come down the stairs and stand behind him. And he was like, it's really irritating. And I was like, I don't do that, dude. That's not me. And he's like, I never look behind me. So I don't know who, I don't know what it was. So those are my two ghost stories. I'm not telling uh, mine now. Uh, <laughs> mine are not cool. Yeah, Dennis, you should have gone uh, last. Sorry, I made a big mistake. Sorry. Dennis, that first story, was I living with you at that time in that in Vermont? Yeah, you were, yeah. That was just me, man. That, that, that's, that's a thing I do. <laughs> no, you know who it looked like? You, you remember that kid, the bike boy? He lived oh, on our street. And the, and the bike mom that was maybe also his girlfriend or whatever? Yeah. It looked yeah, like yeah. that guy, but not exactly like him. He looked like he could have been related to that kid. Just wow. Mysterious and vague. Yeah. And I, do I would also say I was like to point out. Sorry, I would like to point out 
Um, cause Dennis said earlier that ever since he's lived with me, he's had night terrors. I just want to point out that, uh, you know, correlate correlation does not imply causation. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't think I just, that's the time in my life. That's actually the time in some, when they're living with John is the time in people's lives. No, like their early twenties is when people start to get night terrors. So it's, Oh really? That's a thing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. And I think I actually caused mine because I watched like a Discovery Channel about night terrors before I got them. And I got so freaked out by that idea of night terrors that I started to have them. Um, so usually what happens is like I'm sleeping on my stomach or on my side or something and I'll hear a noise and it'll be like a pressure on my back or my neck. And my head starts to create like, like it's an intruder or like it's a wild animal or something, but I usually don't see anything. I just like feel something on my back. So that's usually what my nay terror is. I don't think I was fully aware that this was part of your life, Dennis. I, I'm learning something new oh, about yeah. you. Yeah. I actually haven't had one in a while, but. Um, well, now that you've talked about them, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's all it takes. Well, so I, I, I was going to say. Oh, sorry. I just want to say one more thing about that house that you lived in by the cemetery. There was that really weird hole in the second floor, like where you could see down to like the first floor. Like it was just like this hole. Like what was? I don't know. I don't know. It was like maybe a yeah. There were there a few before. holes that went down. Yeah. from one floor to the other. Yeah. I don't think I could sleep peacefully in that house. I don't know. <laughs> I also had a um, ladybug infection in that house. Like um, no matter what I did, there was always like hundreds of ladybugs in my room. And this is why he's a horror cartoonist, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, you got to talk about this weird stuff you see. Uh, so I discovered that I'm kind of a ghost. So, and the way this works is um, my wife, when she's asleep, just like barely asleep, like that early REM, if I come into the room, it doesn't matter that she knows me and that we've been together for 13 years, she will sometimes start screaming as if an intruder has entered the room. Like, and she'll be like, no, 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 but like much louder. Uh, and it's terrifying for me. And it like, she'll just like go to bed. Like, I'm going to go read and go to bed. And then I'll come in later. And then she'll scream when I enter the room. and like, oh, you were asleep. Um, wow. and it like takes 10 seconds or so of her screaming to come down. And then she's, she doesn't remember it happening. And then she's awake afterwards. And she, um, her heart beats really fast. And she's like, she doesn't remember that. She doesn't know that she's just been scared. She just knows that she's awake and she's alert and she's really, her heart's beating fast and she doesn't know uh, what's going on. So it wow, sounds intense. Yeah. You just gotta be really careful when you enter the room sometimes enter our bedroom. Uh, so that's where I feel like, uh, like a home invader ghost character. Like that's if she yeah. were to bring anything from that, that would become a ghost story. I'm sure. Uh, anyway, John, did you yeah, tell I'm sure yours, like or is most it, ghost stories are that kind of thing where it's just your body's doing something weird and your brain is adjusting to it and like it becomes a ghost story. No, my stories are like I saw a light flicker once. Like I got nothing. Like <laughs> those are great stories. I got nothing at all. <laughs> uh, I asked. I have a creepy question. That's like, are there any had any murder or suicides at your school? But I decided that's uh, that's too too scary. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to delete that and not mention that one. And then we'll move on. Um, so, Dennis, you're saying the ghosts are very specific. So all the other ghostly stuff, the spider, snake, zombie, handy, holding hell, what is that? Okay, do you think we talked about this, about the gateway, or is there more that we want to say? I don't think we have any other answers. So, yeah, we've talked about it. 
And then Dennis, I, you also say why? Oh, go ahead, sorry, David. Oh, just I was I would say what I said before. Like I think someone just figured out like oh we can do these computer effects and those so they started like throwing in all this shit just to see what would stick and how it looked. And then Dennis, you ask, why now? 1998 isn't a good anniversary for 1955 or anything. Why now? Why? Yeah. Does it happen every year? I don't know. So my gut feeling is you have the Sadie Hawkins. Oh, shit. You know, I, I don't know. The Sadie Hawkins thing is like kind of an old timey thing. And it like, it happens at a specific time of the year. And like, that's kind of like a like a like an origin point of the story, like high school events when you're brainstorming this stuff, and like maybe that's the '50s stuff, and then you get into that music. The music is so good; it could be the music is the origin because like they have two oh, really creepy a, songs they have the rights to somehow. They're not creepy, yeah, but the way they're used. That the song by the Flamingos, the um, what, what's that song called? I only have eyes for you. <laughs> I only have eyes for you. Thank you. Uh, that recording of it is from 1959, so. Oh, uh, good call, Dennis. Wow. Uh, though, though you point out the song does predate that. It's like from the 30s. but the Yeah, the specific, song's older. The specific recording is from 59. I mean, ghosts can get into new music, right? They're not That's limited. True. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to themes and deep stuff. Uh, John, your first question here. Do you need to date to get in date mode? This is a question I have, uh, you know, because I feel like this is a question we all ponder whenever we're dumped, right? Uh, and Buffy's going through this because I feel like at different points when I've been like in the cycle of like uh, breakup and then dating and new relationships, ultimately, whatever, like wherever you get to. Um, I think it's a question I keep, I, you always have when you're in that cycle. What do you guys think? Do you think you need to force yourself to date when you're in that place? Uh, yeah, as somebody who hasn't really tried dating in a long time because of other shit going on in my life, I, if I was going to try to date now, I would really have to force myself to do it. I'd have to be like, cause every now and then I'll like get on OkCupid and be like, maybe I'll start trying to date again. And like somebody will start messaging me and I just immediately lose, I ghost them, which is a terrible thing to do. But like, I'm just, I realize like I'm not ready to date. Like, and I just shut it down. So online dating is a fucking slog. That's for sure. And I don't help any part of it because I'm the jerk who ghosts people. I'll talk to them for a little bit and then be like, never going to respond. I, yeah. I think people should have like their recovery time though, too. Cause like you can definitely get back into the game or whatever. And like, then you start seeing someone and you realize like, Oh, this isn't really what I want right now anyway, but it's just because, you know, that's what everyone else tells you that that's what you should want. And like what you think you should want. So I, I don't know. I don't know if Will's being the best friend by saying like, hey, Buffy, just get over and date somebody new. You know, like you need time to like get over things sometimes. I yeah. think Willow just really is excited that she's dating and is like, I want my best friend to date. And then we can have like double dates. Like she has like this thing, you know, yeah, she's the, never the, like. The time frame is yeah. pretty narrow here, right? Because this is in the same school year that her boyfriend turned evil and murdered her teacher. And Willow's like, Get over it already. What was it? Four weeks? Like, <laughs> yeah, Life moves good... faster when you're in high school, man. Yeah. That's a good point, though, Dennis. That it's like, yeah, dating is a really nice thing right now for Willow. She just wants Buffy to have the same nice 
thing so that they can, you know, then, yeah, like you said, have fun double dates or whatever. Were you laughing at me for some, oh, God damn it, my internet. Uh, yeah. I was able to at least understand what you said. It just yeah, we understand. Yeah, we can understand really it this time, but really slow. Every time that happens, though, I've decided though that, that the ghosts in your apartment like don't want us to hear what you're saying. They're just like, <laughs> we can't let the secrets about dating get out. Like, yeah, I don't know if killing your video will make it better or not, but anyway, it's it's fine now. It's kind of random. Uh. I don't I don't have an opinion about date mode at the moment. I'm not in date mode. I'm in married mode, which is a different mode, but I yeah, I'm in a different mode. You have mode. to get married to be in married mode, Mike. <laughs> married mode is different. I mean, you definitely have that thing though where you're like, we need to get back into date mode and treat each other like we like each other and not a part of this like weird dispassionate thing where you just like you have you have like a different relationship, you know, you kind of it changes all the time. Sometimes we're just friends. Sometimes we're like sometimes we're more than friends. But like just that, you know, your relationship just changes a lot. Um, John says, "How do you know when you're having real feelings versus acting out someone else's melodrama?" Wow, that's a good question. Like one of the things I like about this episode is the idea of like borrowed drama, right? That because um, I feel like one of the weird things about living in maybe to some extent, like the time or at least the century that we're living in is that like, we experience so many stories. Like, you know, between all the podcasts and the TV shows and the books and the everything that like, I'm doing all the time. It's pretty good bet that like most life stuff is going to happen to me like a 100 times in fiction before it's going to happen in real life. And so sometimes like when real things happen, it feels like you're just acting out a story. You know what I mean? And I felt like this episode, like not on purpose maybe, but like this episode taps into that because like these people just sort of like pick up somebody else's page and keep going. And maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I thought about with this episode. I think it's really, I think it's really well put, John. I mean, I think the answer is you don't, it's hard to know. Like, cause so often we have, yeah, those kind of scenarios that like a mimic stuff that have happened in, you know, dramas. And that's also challenging because like sometimes your feelings are guided by drama when they don't need to be that dramatic. Right. Like you don't, you don't need to punish people because that's what a character would do. You don't need to be mad because that's what a character would do. Like, like what are your true feelings is really hard. And then your next, your next point is amazing too. Giles guilt as a lens. Like, absolutely. Yeah. He just like, he, he, he immediately assumes that it's, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like he immediately assumes it's Jenny partly because like, and I feel like I do this sometimes with stuff in my life where like, I'll read a story in a way that allows me to make it my fault or make it like about my own choices because that makes it feel coherent or makes it feel like something that I have some kind of control over. Even if it's like, I have control over it because I fucked it up. Right. Um, Even though in this situation, it has nothing to do with Giles. Right. It's like, it's a random haunting that could have happened on any day of the week at Sunnydale High, right? Um, but he and, reads it as part of his drama because he can't see it any other way. I don't know. I think it's really good writing in the episode too that like the kids kind of point it out that they're like, Giles is usually the one that is open to like it being whatever, you know, like, you know, all the possibilities. But this time he's like, no, it's definitely Jenny Calendar and like, don't like say it's anything else. So um, that, that was really good writing in the episode. Yeah, that's a quote that we didn't get do, but... You should never yeah. be cowed by authority, except, of course, in this instance, when I'm clearly right and you are clearly wrong. 
yeah, I, things- I feel like I say that to my students all the time. Like, <laughs> challenge authority, but not mine. Like, I feel like I save a version of that pretty much every day that I teach. Like, Yeah, that's, it's like, it makes the episode really strong that Giles goes in that direction. And like, it feels emotionally true. Love it. Uh, Dennis asks, this episode, or presents, this episode brings a gun into school, has a shooting in a school and teen suicide. Does anyone have anything to say about that? More than we have time for, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I mean, say- and it, the show kind of barely even touches on like school shootings and teen suicide. That's like not the focus of the episode that was real things. Yeah. The modern version of this story would go be much more interested in where the gun came from. Of course they make it, you know, evaporate into thin air or whatever, but like there would have been the scene where they're like getting body searched on their way into class or something like that, or like there'd be additional yeah. security, but cause Hellmouth, Nope. Uh, but also pre Columbine. Right. I, I and this show also goes through the Columbine arc. I wonder if that influences the show. I assume it doesn't. But, um, like, yeah, it definitely would have an effect, an impact. I mean, school shootings happened before that, but that was, like, such a big one because it happened when the media was the way it was. So yeah, it's a different time. And then teen suicide's another big one. I mean, I, I've definitely, I remember watching PSAs from this era about, about guns uh, that were really powerful. And then teen suicide's another huge one. And like the way it, I feel like this, this show, this episode has so much resonance, like so much power in that scene where, you know, Buffy's walking into the music room where the suicide would have taken place and like sees that reflection of herself as the boy, which such a powerful rad scene, like, uh, cause you know, that's the suicide. Right. And like, they just, they make it really scary. It's like good horror the way it's set up. It doesn't feel like they're, uh, talking about, kid behavior or like what's right and wrong they're like really leaning into the possession and the horror elements versus like the PSA stuff and sometimes there's stronger PSA elements in this show but like that felt straight horror and it was good yeah yeah and it yeah that focused on the emotional the emotional truth of it I guess instead of like the right or wrong of it right which is where you want as an audience anyway I don't want to be condes- I don't want to be told moralized like it just feels really strong and like I, I would like one point about that when she's looking in the mirror and seeing herself, I've had this experience in virtual reality where you can sometimes be a character. Play, I was playing the Batman Arkham Asylum VR game. And like, there's some scenes where you look into a mirror and you're Batman and they're freaking awesome. But it's also like that uncanniness of looking into something and see something that's like, that's you, but it's not you. Is it, is it like Batman's face, but your eyes? Uh, I mean, it's like, it looks where you look. Right, it's got a little bit. It's mostly head tracking versus right. eye tracking. It's so it's not like because um, some of those other virtual reality things, right? Is like your eye floating. Yeah, sometimes they'll have eye floating, oh, but this weird. is like you see Batman's face and it's your face, and like if you raise your hand, if you're holding a yeah. controller wand, he raises his hand. So it's this awesome, uncanny experience that like is they don't play too heavily on, but like it's there, and it's there till you press a button to like go to the next scene or whatever, but it's really, it's rad. And I feel like that virtual self where she sees like the fifties thing is like a really strong horror moment, but that's like a moment we're all going to have. If you haven't had it yet, you will have in a virtual reality experience and it will be scary. And then when you see the scene again, after experience for it in virtual reality, it'll be like this weird thing where it's like, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to look in a mirror and see a 1950s kid with a gun in his hand. <laughs> 
I know what it looks like, what it feels like to just look in the mirror and not recognize yourself because you are surprised at how old you are. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if everyone else has experienced that yet. But. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I know what all of this is like because I've watched Quantum Leap. <laughs> Wait, in Quantum Leap, he, oh, he, that's the only time he can see, we can see what he really looks yeah, like. Yeah, it's the only he's time he's not Scott Bakula. It's like he looks in the mirror and he's a chimpanzee or whatever. Oh my God, I, that's... That is my go-to episode for referring to Quantum Leap is uh, that and the one where he gets raped. Like uh, Yoda Danny, one time put on the raped episode, uh, oh. <laughs> forcing me to watch it for some reason. <laughs> Which has the terrible line where he just think, he just realizes he's a girl and he goes, oh no, not again. And the doctor's like, you've been raped before? <laughs> like, that's not why I picked that episode. I didn't. <laughs> Like I wasn't picking the themes of like, oh, this is the one where he gets raped. You know, I wasn't like, and I, no, I remember really you awful. were like searching through the episodes, and you were like, rape, Dennis, you're watching this one. That's what I remember. All right, I mean, I feel like I'm on trial here or something, but uh, it's just really not fair for you to blindside me with some. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I claim ignorance or drunkness. That's why. All right. Yeah, it's probably drunkness. So it's just a weird episode of Quantum um, Leap, right? And that's it's fun to share, right? Like, yeah. Okay. I, I don't. I don't feel like there's as much character assassination, but maybe you're joking. I can't tell because the audio situation we're having. <laughs> uh, well, yes. People so, have trouble telling me if I'm joking a lot, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so, David, you said uh, the ghost story is one of forbidden love between a teacher and a student, similar to the forbidden love between Buffy and Angelus. Is Buffy's dwelling on Angelus causing this to resurface? Is yeah, that and what I causes that, the initial like haunting, right? And I was going to bring this up earlier, but even though it's not the 1955 event happening, it's because this dance is happening, and uh, Buffy's dwelling on uh, like her own uh, relationship with an older person that, like, you know, she should not really continue with and so I, I just saw a lot of connections there yeah that's a good call i never thought about that that it was this might all just be buffy creating this uh i, I mean i i didn't think about it, about it as buffy but that's a good point i mean i see like the parallel between teacher and student is like that's a forbidden relationship and just like the buffy angelus relationship is forbidden right that they're forbidden relationships you know, why can't they have a normal life? You know, all the stuff that, you know, they yell at each other in the hallway is all stuff that totally fits and works for the Angelus and Buffy relationship. Like, you know, in that fact, in that scene, it's like, you really feel like, cause Buffy is kind of going off script and saying some of her own lines. It feels like a little bit, not completely the script. And then it kind of goes into the script, but like, that's, that's the situation they're in. Like, why can't they? Oh, because of weird vampire mystery, you know, weird vampire shit. Well, and it's also interesting when, uh, like, Buffy and Angelus meet up at, towards the end, uh, when Buffy is quoting the script of, like, the ghost, that, like, Angelus doesn't even realize it because it does sound like honest things that she would have the right to say, like you're saying. She's also a better actress than, uh, I think, <laughs> the other, the woman that played the, like, it's funny, like, the way that other people play that scene, they play it really, like, melodramatically. I think so they make, so it's clear to the audience that it's fake, but it's still, like, it's it's played so much melodrama that it seems kind of stupid. Uh, 
do you same way i'm sorry i, I can't see anybody uh john do you want to say anything about this or no i'm good cool uh and then john do you have another question here giles says forgiveness is an act of compassion it's not done because someone deserves it it's done because someone needs it buffy says no what do you think yeah the quality of mercy is not buffy as uh xander points out which i thought was it was it was nice to that uh that that Xander at least because we know that uh, Cordelia read Merchant of Venice, but now we know at least Xander was read part of it. Um, but uh, I thought it was an interesting question. The question of justice versus mercy, I think, is an interesting one that it brings up really briefly. Yeah, Any that's thoughts? a good philosophical question. I mean, I think everybody needs forgiveness, so you know, I, that's where I fall. But that's a it's an easy thing to say when you're not you know a victim uh, you know of some particular thing. I don't know. But that's good. I you should yeah. I mean, teach I, a I philosophy for, class. There's also like I feel like certain people treat like when they do something wrong and then they apologize, say they're sorry, like they treat it as like a commodity exchange where you like are supposed to forgive them or like you have to forgive them. And that's not necessarily how it should work. You know, it's like if especially if it's a repeated pattern of something, you know, that person maybe needs to work on bettering themselves and not you know, doing the things that have like wronged the other person to begin with. Dennis, you're saying is Angelus being possessed by a ghost similar to Angel's Angel's soul possessing Angelus? Am I saying this wrong? I already like brought that up. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, is there more? Yeah, there's a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, David says, I think it's not about gender reversal. It's about age difference, power dynamic, teacher student versus vampire human. You guys have covered Buffy and Angelus's age difference before too. Well, uh, this was that's in response to John's yeah, question. Like, yeah, I that's, think it's that's John a deleted thing to make. Or, yeah. I just I just deleted that comment to try to uh, expedite because we're going on kind of long here. Uh, uh, that's okay. I I brought up the question of like I just think it's interesting that we have this uh, gender reversal. It's it's I don't know that most shows would would do that without really batting an eye. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's totally true that it's because. Like the reason it's even a twist and strange is because like we're so binary with gender that it would be like that it's a surprise. Even though if you look at it like you, the way that they describe everything, it makes sense that Buffy would connect more with the male character, right? Yeah, like I agree. It only reads as a twist because of society, man. Yeah, yeah, that's a good read. That it's about this. It's. Yeah, it's a different, it's a power dynamic versus the gender. Yeah, they, they do that effortlessly and it works. Uh, and then David says, the song I Only Have Eyes For You is about how they only have one love. Buffy stated earlier she was never going to date again. Makes Angelus the all, be all, end all for her relationships. Yes. That's how it feels when you're 17. That, that, that's definitely true too. Like she's being melodramatic. Yeah. But I just thought, you know, it's another... Like that the song was like the song for the couple that's the ghost. And like, so I think Buffy relates to that a lot as well. Yeah, totally. Wow, there's a lot in this episode. We kind of covered a lot of ground here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is a great episode. And we barely talked about teen suicide at all. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into uh, predictions, kill count, recommendations. Um, I predicted that uh, Snyder's going to die in season three now. 
Mm. He's still going to die. Keeping that prediction. Uh, I mean, easy prediction. We will have still need Xander corner. Xander is not a good boy from this point on. This is just a fluke of an episode where he doesn't have a lot to say. Xander is going to continue to uh, say things to discredit uh, being a white male, a cis male. <laughs> He's entitled to be an asshole. Uh, are there any... Uh, I I think that there was one prediction that was... Yeah, so we do have to, um, just to confirm, you guys mentioned this in the last episode, but um, there was a, uh, just to get make sure Mike gets full credit for it, uh, Mike predicted way back in uh, season one, episode 10, that we'll see young Buffy. And last episode, when I was not around, uh, you guys mentioned it, but that one is definitely confirmed. Just want to make sure that that's clear and official. I also think this is what I was thinking is last episode, Mike predicted Cordelia is immune to magic. And this episode, she gets bit by a snake. Oh, and I think it was a magic snake. Well, and and that's a great point. Her face. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That is denied. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that one. <laughs> that's the quickest. Upsy downsy. <laughs> uh, as of, as far as a, um, a couple of quick confirmations though. So in Mike's favor, so Mike predicted back in, back just I think just recently, two episodes ago, that Willow will continue to wear amazing sweaters. That was not a risky prediction, but uh, Willow's like uh, rainbow shirt, which I can only assume is like sweater pride uh, in this episode, I think definitely counts. Does anybody disagree with that? No, I totally agree. That was dope. Okay. Uh, another prediction, uh, they will find a new computer teacher. Ooh. They're not just going to give the job to Willow? No. I think the school will figure something out. They will eventually write this wrong. She shouldn't be teaching this class. Okay, very well, nice. My prediction is that they'll give the job to Willow and she'll become the full-time computer teacher. And never leave Sunnydale High. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike also predicted that and Spike... I, I've seen the series... <laughs> Yeah, your predictions don't count. You're not a virgin. <laughs> virgin predictions only. Uh, Mike predicted in season two, episode nine, that Spike is going to be healed of his weakness. I think we can count that that's confirmed now because he st- stood up and it was very dramatic. I think this is the moment to confirm that. He's, is he's clearly faking it. Yeah. So that's confirmed. So uh, I believe uh, your... your uh, in spite of all the confirmations, your overall average actually went down because uh, you don't often lose one. So when you do, it takes a big bite. Um, so your uh, accuracy is uh, went from an 88 to an 86 uh, just now. Okay, so I, I accept that. You're still in a solid B. I mean... No honor roll for you, buddy. Yeah. I, I will say I noticed that um, we have, let's see, you've made 87 predictions. And and all those predictions are available at MuffyVirgin.com, by the way. If oh yeah, are, absolutely. Are curious you want to you want to peruse the predictions? You made eighty-seven predictions. Uh, Fifty-eight of them are are still uh, to be confirmed. So we we don't know. It could go up or down or sideways. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement on BuffyVirgin.com/slash/predictions where you can see all this action. Uh, and then Dennis, do we have a kill count and recommendations? 
We do. Uh, we have a kill count of three, including Buffy's very first suicide, as, uh, as far as I know. Um, so I feel like that. I just I feel like that should be mentioned. I don't know. It's so rare to see a suicide on TV. Um, my recommendations are uh, first uh, the Hitchcock movie Rebecca, um, which is based on a novel by Daphne Du Maurier. It's really good, and it's a haunted house movie, but it's like unclear whether it's really a haunted house or not. Um, uh, I also recommend the movie The Haunting, uh, based on the book The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, really, I mean, it's like if you're going to recommend ghost movies, it's probably like the number one or two. Um, I also recommend the Dario Argento movie Phenomena, which isn't about ghosts, but yeah. a young Jennifer Connelly controls bugs, and it has a similar scene where the school gets completely swarmed with bugs. Uh, and, and that movie is super ch- excellent. Oh, movie so good. Yes. It also it has, has a, a chimpanzee. <laughs> and in real life, in real life, this so the in the movie she's supposed to be friends with the chimpanzee. In real life, young Jennifer Connelly did not get along with that chimpanzee, and it actually bit one of her fingers off and had to be sewn back on. I did not um, know that story. And it, you can see the scene. The scene is in the movie. It's like a faraway shot where the chimp hugs her, and he's actually attacking her in that scene. And uh, yeah, she had to get like her thumb oh or something God. sewed back on. Uh, but it's a totally great bonkers movie, especially if you like Dario Argento. Um, and it's uh, Jennifer Connelly before Labyrinth. Yeah, so she's really she's young. Very young yeah. Um, I also recommend um, two British TV movies. The uh, Great Britain has a tradition of ghost stories on Christmas. So for a while, the BBC would air ghost stories on Christmas. Um, I think that's now been replaced by Doctor Who on Christmas. Uh, but there's uh, one really good one called The Woman in Black, which was remade with Harry Potter. But the original is probably still available, hopefully. It's really cool. And there's one I really like called The Stone Tape. That's like about the idea of like being able to record like ancient people were accidentally able to record stuff on stone, like audio on stone. Uh, and we watched this one time, uh, Yoder, you were there. And like, there's a point where this movie freaks out. It just has like a complete flip out with like crazy shit happening. And Yoder had walked out to go to the bathroom and then he walked in immediately after that scene ended. So he missed, like he got all the buildup and none of the like <laughs> craziness of this movie. So what was, what was that movie again? Uh, the Stone Tape. It's like 1972 or something. And I'm looking up these as I'm adding them to this list. Uh, the Haunting, which year Haunting? There's like a bunch of these. The, oh, uh, it would have been the 50s. The one in the 50s. Uh, okay, uh, 1963 Haunting? Does that sound right? Uh, maybe, yeah. There's another the one in 1999. So yeah, 63. Okay. Yeah, it's not the one in the the ninety nine one is a remake that like ruins it. Uh, so yeah, it would have been the sixty three the sixty three film. Yeah. Good predictions or good uh, recommendations, Dennis. Those are. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited. I want to look up the stone tapes. That sounds fan- fantastic. And uh, Phenomena is, is a crazy movie. And every time I recommend it, people are like, the John Travolta movie? <laughs> it's also, um, so Phenomena is the title that went by in Europe. And in America, there's an edited version that's like 10 minutes shorter called Creepers. So you could recommend Creepers. To I think avoid. that's the title I know for it. 
yeah. papers. And it all it has an amazing line of dialogue where like Jennifer Connelly finds like she thinks she sees this woman's son, and then it turns out to be a doll. And <laughs> the woman is like, You thought that was my son? My son sits alone every day thinking his crazy thoughts. <laughs> it's like there was no setup for that line at all. It's just like uh, yeah, it was awesome. All right. Well, all those are in the letterbox.com list, uh, which we share every once in a while. But if you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it is a huge list of movies. Now, 52 films that Dennis has recommended on the podcast uh, for you to go and see. And I've only seen 15 of these movies, so I have a lot of work to do. It's a great list. <coughs> so I'm going to share that here in the chat. Cool. Um, well, I think we've reached the end of this episode of Buffy uh, Virgin. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining. Of course, we are on Instagram at Buffy Virgin. We are Buffy Virgin Pod on Twitter. We are BuffyVirgin.com. There's a Facebook page where you can engage probably the most easily. Uh, there's iTunes where you can leave reviews for the show, which we all really appreciate. And uh, once again, thanks so much uh, to John and Dennis A. John. He'll get all his comics at DennisComics.com. Please sign up for his Patreon. You get amazing access to all his new comics. For David Yoder, you need to check out uh, his his movie comics page. And David Yoder, what is that again? Uh, David and David at the movies.wordpress.com. Right. And you guys also have a Facebook page. How else can people get yeah, and find your comics? Uh, my Twitter, my Twitter is awesome Yoder. So the word awesome and then my last name Yoder, Y-O-D-E-R, all is one word. And it's got a link to the website right there and uh you have a t- twitter for the thing also right it's like david's at movie david's at movie or movies yeah and these guys watch everything they watch all the new movies and they have opinions about all these new movies and they're, they're pretty wonderful and you guys have a book coming out right uh we did one printed collection and we're gonna have a new one I- i'm gonna be going to the small press expo in bethesda maryland um next month so so Small Press Expo, that's like a ton of indie comics people in one place, and that's in uh, September. So I know there's comics people listen to this, and they want to they yeah, find like out about this stuff, 19th, David. I think. Cool. <laughs> it's the same day as the Juggalo versus Trump supporters oh, bash. <laughs> well, it sounds like great timing. Thank you guys so much, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>